Welcome to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky, where we help you to create more safety and enjoyment in the bedroom. I'm Natalie Viers, a pleasure and intimacy coach. And I'm Rocky Peterson, Yoni massage practitioner and pleasure educator. This is a space where you get to open your mind, be free of your inhibitions and play. Hey, everybody, it's Rocky. Welcome to another episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. And I'm Natalie. All right. And today we are going to talk about attraction and what happens when it goes away. But for me, so this is Natalie's concept today. But for me, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what your attraction looks like and and what you can do about it yourself. And, and I'm sure it's going to play in with what Natalie wants to talk about, but we kind of have a little bit of a different perspective. So we might be bouncing around a little bit back and forth on this today. Okay. Rocky coming in with his own perspective. Well, I mean, I'm not as much about what, you know, when attraction goes away, because I'm, I'm in a different place in my life where, you know, attraction is a kind of a different thing. You know, when you're younger, it's kind of bigger. And, you know, what's happening with attraction is it's kind of like more important and, and more significant in what's going on in your life. And, and when you're older, it seems to be, you know, a little bit less significant. So for me, I'm in a relationship where, you know, attraction isn't, you know, as much of a thing, you know, energetically it is, you know, the attraction to a large degree, the companionship, the friendship and all of that is more center stage than the physical. And I've got a a little bit of a hunch that what you're talking about is, you know, got a a little bit bigger of a physical element in it. Is that right? No, actually. No. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the physical actually has the the least to do with what attract, what creates attraction uh, between us energetically and what makes us feel attracted to people in general. Like physical attraction is sort of this like surface level experience of chemistry, like literally just like our hormones mixing together and uh, people fixating on physical traits that they think will somehow make pretty babies. I mean, it's really like a very biological way of thinking. And it's also a very like socially programmed and conditioned way of thinking. Like, you know, I want to be with someone hot and like that person hasn't really like thought much about what matters to them in life at all. So, uh, no, I'm interested in having a much, much deeper conversation about attraction. And I, I personally believe that even at your age, it's very possible to consciously create attraction in relationship. Uh, the the tension that we feel when we're when we like sexually desire someone we, when we want someone when we feel wanted by someone that's the experience of attraction and I think it's just actually very normalized in monogamous relationships for that experience of that tension to kind of go away and for the experience of some people turn sexuality into more of like a play experience as a way to replace that feeling of like raw desire and tension. Well, it sounds like we're on more of the same page than I thought. Sorry if I mistook what, what you're saying. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think physical attraction, for example, my experience with that is the more I get to know someone and you know see who they are, 
the more I'm physically attracted. So the, the, you know, the energetic thing kind of plays into that, the getting familiar and uh, more intimate in communication and whatnot, and really knowing someone that does a lot to make someone more physically attractive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'm the same way. How someone physically looks is one of the least important things to me. I'm, I'm much more interested in how I feel in someone's presence and whether or not I feel like someone sees me and is interested in me and cares about me and you know, I have fun with them. And I mean, there's there are so many other things that create that sense of attraction for me that really don't have much to do with, with the physical I think it's necessary to look at why we feel attracted to someone in the first place. You know, I think you you made a bit of an assumption that our attraction is is based on physicality and I would argue that it's much more unconscious than that and we're at, what we're actually attracted to is a relational dynamic, an energetic dynamic that we experienced when we were younger. And we culturally, especially like we tell ourselves stories about like physical attraction and and things like that. But it's like, that's more of an ego thing about, you know, like I, I have a pretty one. I am a pretty one. I'm a match for a pretty one. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's very, very unevolved thinking. And I mean, if we were having a conversation about dating back in the nineties, that's the level that we were at. And here in the 20s, <laughs> we are realizing that it's so much more complex than that. We just had that incredible conversation with Damien where he took us through the different levels that we're capable of relating at, in an evolutionary way. And attraction is at the level of polarity, which is the third level on his structure. And so... That was one of the things that struck me most about about that conversation is the distinction that he makes where in order to consciously create attraction with each other through polarity, magnetism, that feeling of being wanted, we have to first create a secure attachment with each other. Because when we're stuck at the level of insecure attachment, we're creating the illusion of sexual attraction through a conflict resolution cycle because our connection is insecure. And so we're playing power games about who's staying and who's going and, and what's happening in order for that to occur. And we are playing control games around who gets to be made happy in what way. And, and like that's the way that all that attachment insecurity plays out. We have to do inner work on ourselves, on how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to each other in order to create secure attachment. He talked about the idea of earned secure attachment. And once we have that created, then there's the level of polarity where we are creating magnetism. There are a number of relationship coaches in my network that focus on the concept of polarity because when we consciously take on these roles, we can shift how the energy works between us. So one of the most popular conversations is masculine and feminine energy. But if we try to engage in creating, like in taking on those roles from an insecure place, 
We're simply trying to create via control. Whereas if we do the work to create safety and trust with each other and a secure attachment, and then we play with those roles together, we're creating from a space of safety. We're creating from something solid and we are then playing with energy in a way that's going to give vitality to our connection. Okay. So I started with the physical because I mean, I have to admit the the word attraction kind of has a little bit of connotation towards the physical, but boy, oh boy, you know, with that much background, there's so much more to attraction and, you know, we don't really think about all that. I mean, that's, you know, kind of go along and, and we get in these relationships and that stuff's probably you know, kind of happening behind the scenes and organically and naturally, and maybe we don't think about it so much. So that's a really awesome detailing of, and I'm sure it's just a a partial detailing of attraction at an energetic level. But our conversation is that where attraction falls apart. So Mm -hmm. where do we start there? With all of that background now, what are you meaning? A lot of couples that are stuck in insecure attachment where they haven't got to the point where they're having these conscious communications with each other. They are creating room for each other's perspectives. They're working with each other to move in a positive direction. They are struggling with lack of attraction for each other. We can't experience the feeling of being magnetized to someone when there isn't an experience of safety and trust there. There's this very surface level of attraction, which is the rush of hormones and chemistry that we feel when we first come into contact with someone. And especially if we unconsciously recognize and feel familiarity with their patterns, like say, I'm a girl with daddy issues and I meet a a bad boy that reminds me a lot of of experiences I've had in the past and he's hot. I'm going to really want him. That is such a fleeting physical feeling because it's purely the body reacting to the chemistry we have with these elements. And that is not an experience that is going to carry on in a relationship in any way. It drains out quickly because, so here's where I will reference my experience in Maui. In a healthy dynamic, We are self-responsible for meeting our own needs. We are self-aware of what our needs are. We are willing to communicate about our needs clearly and effectively. And we're responsible for meeting our own needs first. And we're also willing to open up to the possibility of others meeting our needs if they they would like to. And so that's, that's a healthy dynamic. And there's giving in reciprocity because both people are operating from an awareness of how to maintain their own full cup. They're both paying attention to whether or not their cup is full. They're staying attuned to themselves and making decisions about, you know, whether or not they have needs that need to be met. In an unhealthy dynamic, people haven't yet really made it to that point where they've learned to be self-responsible for filling their own cup. And they haven't yet made it to the point where they're fully aware of what they even need or what could fill their cup in a healthy way because they're used to getting some of those needs met through other people in a way that isn't consenting. So a little bit of what I hear is at least one of the failures of attraction is caused by 
one's own failure of self-love. Yes. Are you excited to explore the world of pleasure? If so, head to getting off with natalieandrocky.com where you can choose your own adventure. So in the experience I had in Maui, I got invited by this man to Maui. From my perspective, he invited me out there. He said he'd take care of everything while I was there. I went for five days. He was thrilled to have me. For the first four days, we had a fun, romantic, sexy time and went on adventures and did cool things. And I worried about nothing and just received what was offered. And then on day five, I recognized that he had been over the previous four days pouring and pouring into me and unbeknownst to me, overextending himself and overgiving. And so he had drained himself into me. And then he made a small request of me that I didn't feel available to meet in that moment on the fifth day. I had my own desires and it was a really, really minor request. And it was like a switch flipped. And I felt all of the attraction and polarity and magnetism draw out of our connection, like someone pulled the plug out. And suddenly, he was repulsed by me. It was the opposite end of a magnet where, you know, at first he was attracted, now he was repelled. And he couldn't get away from me fast enough. And it was because I didn't meet him in the dynamic that he was playing out. I was operating from a space with healthy boundaries where during our time together, during the four days that we spent together, I didn't offer anything that I didn't feel available to give. I tended to myself and took care of myself and stayed attuned to myself for the time that we were together and took time away to meditate and do yoga and talk to my girlfriends and do things that fill me up so that I was available for the experience that we were having together. And there was a lot to process. So I was conscious about that. And I didn't feel obligated to turn around and fill his cup for him out of my own when he had poured all of his cup into mine. Because that is the expectation that is created in any dysfunctional dynamic. People pour themselves into others, expecting that at some point they will turn around and be poured back into. But that's not how attraction works. Attraction is polarities. You do not attract someone who is the same as you. You attract someone who is your polar opposite. So if you are someone who gives and gives and gives and then expects to be given back to, you're going to attract someone who receives and receives and receives, and is not going to meet you in that same space of overgiving. It's a complete fallacy of an expectation. So it creates this consistent, frustrated experience where you feel like you just never meet someone who gives as much as you do. But the whole issue is that you are forgetting yourself in the process. You are deprioritizing yourself. You are not taking responsibility for meeting your own needs in that dynamic. And you're turning around and expecting the other person to then be responsible for those needs. Once you hit a wall and are drained and can't give, 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 give anymore. So, okay. I've got a, another client. And one of the things that we talk about quite frequently is what's transactional. Mm -hmm. 
And unfortunately, it plays in. And sometimes you don't know. You know, sometimes you're feeling like this energy is just there. But the other person, you know, kind of feels like it, but it's they're paying for it or they're they're contributing to it as it, 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 a transaction. It's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour my cup into yours, and then you're going to reciprocate the way I want you to reciprocate. Where's uh, the difference between being transactional and reciprocity? Because reciprocity is the healthy version of this. Absolutely. And transactional is focused on self. So when we are in a reciprocal relationship, we are attuned to ourselves and our present state. And we also are attuned to the other person that we are interacting with. And what we receive or give from that person is dependent upon what's our state, what's their state. When it's transactional, it's entirely selfishly focused. It's all about, I've done this and given this and da, 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 and now I need this, right? The missing ingredient has been that self-attunement and that self-responsibility for being aware of what needs are coming up and taking the necessary loving actions to meet them and also creating space for the other person in the interaction to have the same experience. When it's transactional, it's all about, I have these expectations because I've done this and I need this. Is that what happened in Maui? Absolutely. He was in a transactional space. I am in a reciprocal space. I gave lots to him as well during our time in Maui, but because he was in a transactional space where he was thinking about certain things he wanted and outcomes he was trying to create for himself, he couldn't even see what I gave in, in that scenario. Right. What came from me there. Right. Because those weren't part of his transactional equation. Yes. I was operating in reciprocity where, you know, I, I was being self-responsible and, and just navigating according to what, what I was available for or not available for in the given moment. I was prioritizing my own experience. And that is, that is what we do in healthy relating. In any given interaction, there is room for each individual's experience to be the priority, but each individual is responsible for making their own experience the priority. And every interaction has a possible win-win-win. It's only when we are trying to sidestep responsibility for meeting our own needs and put them on other people that we create any win-lose situations. So when we allow ourselves to, to operate with an empty cup, Attraction goes out the window. It's like taking the plug out of the tub and letting it all drain out. And then like looking at each other and expecting to find each other sexy when there's there's no sexy juice. And then what a, what a lot of dysfunctional relationships tend to do is look at each other and go, you do this to be more sexy. You do that to be more sexy. <laughs> like, I need you to do this so that I can find you more sexy. <laughs> and that is just a recipe for everyone feeling like they're criticized for not being sexy enough. Well, that that's a buzzkill in a relationship, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So once we have empty cups and we're in this space of disharmony and friction with each other, where like we're just rubbing each other the wrong way and looking at each other with like, why are you a problem in my life? <laughs> Basically, that's what happens to people when all of that polarity drains and they're like, ugh, you. <laughs> 
And what is missing, like what people really need, and I just did this with a client yesterday, actually. She and I were in a space of of disharmony where we both kind of had stuff on each end individually that kind of came in energetically with an interaction we had and made things a little messy. And so we both were in this intimacy trigger with each other. Intimacy triggers happen all the time with with my clients. It's like it, it's where a lot of the work happens. We're doing trust building work. We're doing communication work where it's not possible to work at the depth that I do with people and not run into these inner child triggers often coming up. And it was challenging to get her on a call in the first place because what she wanted to do was keep our conversation in text initially. And I'll just make a sidebar for a moment and say my stance on resolving conflict in text. It's a terrible idea. Uh, It's an effort to keep the conversation in an intellectual space that is disconnected from the heart so we don't have to feel the intensity of the feelings associated with the conflict and the trigger that's come up for us. And what ends up happening in text is simply an exchange of multiple perspectives where each person is fighting to be right about what perspective is happening. And that's not really possible because multiple perspectives are true in intimate exchange. And what is really needed to come back into harmony with each other, which is a necessary component to even be able to experience attraction. We cannot experience attraction while our nervous systems are in disharmony with each other. So my client was feeling really repelled by me because of this trigger. And it was really hard for her to come into a space with me to have a video chat and have an opportunity to reconnect. And instead of starting our call with talking about what went awry between us and where where things got twisted and weird and messy, I asked her if we could just sit in front of each other on the screen for a few minutes in silence and just take in each other's presence and breathe and ground together and just be there with each other and move from there. And within a couple minutes, we both completely relaxed. We both got in touch with I love you, I see you, what actually matters in that connection versus, you know, the silly little wires that get crossed in our communication. And that is the element that is missing for most people in reestablishing attraction. We, we try to use sex and physical connection as a way to bring ourselves back to that place of intimacy and safety and connection. And it's so much more effective if we just take those moments and remember each other's wholeness and connect to each other's hearts and, you know, bring the fullness of our connection back online. And then we have an opportunity to consciously create attraction. I completely agree. But I'm also thinking about how someone who is in a position where they're not feeling like the other party's attracted to them. And so what they try and do is like tip their cup. It's like, pour, I need you to pour your cup into me. That's this, this is the, you know, kind of the insecurity side. This is where self-love is missing. And this is kind of 
reinforcing what you're saying that we have to have self first before we can bring something to someone else. And so to me, I see a lot of dysfunction when someone doesn't have enough self-worth to, it's kind of like, I feel like in my relationship, we're constantly like pouring back and forth between it each other's cups, right? It's like, you know, here's a little of mine. Here's, and it's very reciprocal, but it's not, you know, her like, pour your cup into me. I need, please pour, pour, pour. I need more. I need more. I need more. And that's a heavy burden for the party that's having to keep pouring. But it may be that they've got a problem with their self-esteem or, you know, something at the same time that they don't have, you know, something sufficient to pour. I feel like it's like I could pour and pour and pour because I, I love to fill someone's cup and I don't worry about when, when it gets reciprocated. It, it comes back to me. It, it may not even come back to me from them. It may come back to me from someone else. You've learned how to fill your cup. A low sense of self-worth translates to a lack of self-responsibility for meeting our own needs. Right. Right. A low sense of self-worth is simply a carryover from an experience where our needs weren't met as children and we grew up believing that we didn't for whatever reason we didn't deserve for those for those needs to be met. So the the inner work needed for anyone who is looking for someone else to fill their cup is self-responsibility work. The only way to create a healthy dynamic with someone else is to be 100% responsible for what you need. And a lot of people are confused by what I mean by that because a lot of people think that I'm saying strap on your big girl panties and do it all yourself when I say 100% responsibility. But what I really mean is having complete awareness of what you as an individual need in order to support your own happiness and fulfillment and sense of safety and, and security in the world and a willingness to stand your ground for those things, whether it means taking loving action for yourself to create it, whether it means communicating with others, asking for your needs to be met, being open to receiving your needs being met because people love you and they're happy to do that. Um, creating reciprocal relationships with people where it's normalized that you go back and forth meeting each other's needs because that's one of the ways that we express love with each other. And some of that taking loving action for ourselves can be plugging things into our lives that are through other people or services we pay for or things like that, things to make our lives easier, things to support us. It is not necessary to do it all ourselves in order to be in this healthy place. In fact, that it, it it's I would argue that it's unhealthy to think of it that way, that we need to be richly resourced and di diversified in the things that support us, that feed into our lives, that we rely on, that we channel ourselves into. A lot of the attraction issues that come up in a romantic relationship happen because we are putting too much pressure on a romantic relationship to meet too many of our needs, right? A big part of being self-responsible for meeting our needs is recognizing that one person cannot be the only person that we sometimes ask if they want to meet our needs for us. Well, that's a um, confrontational subject. So, okay. So, uh I've got sexual needs that aren't being met. Does that mean I can go somewhere else and get them met? 
Um, I mean, that depends on your ethical conversations with your partner. That's a conversation that, that lots and lots of couples have. But if you're approaching it, if that particular subject, my, my sexual needs aren't being met. Are you and your partner creating a level of safety and intimacy together where it's even possible for your sexual needs to be met? There's a lot of men out there that are going, oh, okay, so I don't have to rely on just my partner because she's too tired or she's got a headache or whatever the case may be. But yeah, you're right. I, I mean, guys, don't don't just go do that just because we're telling you, you know, you got to have that conversation with your partner and, and you know, <laughs> she's got to be on board. Transparency is everything. And, and actually, that's a conversation you know, that can possibly begin to both fill, you know, each one of your cups, because maybe, you know, when she hears, if it's, if it's her, sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes it's uh, the woman that has a higher libido than the man. But when your partner hears that you want more there, you think you need more at a level where you're asking for permission to go get that somewhere else. There's something about you saying, I'm taking care of me. I'm being responsible for me and my needs. And I'm okay doing that if, you know, the reciprocal thing here, uh, you know, is, is asking too much of you. If I'm, if I'm burdening your cup, I'll go take care of my own cup myself, right? And, you know, this is both can be exciting and confrontational at the same time. Here's the problem with that approach. It's focused on your need and the outcome that you're trying to create through your partner and it's not holding space. It's not attuned to your partner's current state and what they may need or desire in order to potentially collaborate with you in meeting that need. Personally, I think that we have no needs, zero needs as individuals that we are not capable of meeting ourselves. And that includes sexual needs. Yes, we desire sexual intercourse as adults, there's a strong desire there to argue that a sexual partner to have a sexual experience seems a little devaluing of the of the partner sitting in front of us who we could be having a deeper conversation with to find out what would need to happen in order to create a win-win situation between us around this desire that I have to have more sex with you. Because that's what we do to each other so often. Like, well, I want this. Can you give this to me? It's only a part of the conversation. Like, It helps so much to open up space and lead the other person into like, what comes up for you when I say I would like this? How do you feel about this desire of mine? We're actively attuning to whatever their experience is around what we are bringing to the table. Uh, it's transactional thinking for us to come to the table and be like, I want this. How are we resolving this? And just like kind of slap it down like a salami on the table in front of them. <laughs> and like that's transactional thinking. Reciprocal attuned thinking is here's a need of mine. I don't expect you to meet it because I'm responsible for meeting my own needs. And you and I are regularly collaborating around meeting each other's needs. Is there a win-win way that we can find to meet this need of mine? Or will you help me get creative in thinking about other ways that I could meet this need if you're not interested in collaborating with me here? I like that. I really, 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 really like that. I mean, from a 
from a male perspective, I, I I feel like that's something that you know a lot of guys could go, wow, I, I I never thought of like putting it in those kind of words for my partner to like communicate with her like that, and I I think that really resonates with me as far as yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So that level of of self-responsibility and of creating safety for each other in these conversations by being attuned and, and remembering in all of these conversations that the person that we're talking to is having their own experience with it. And we don't know what their experience is. We need, we need feedback and information to learn how they really feel about what you're bringing to the table. Until we create that foundation, the experience of consciously creating attraction with each other is is this next level thing. In the polarity conversation though, once we are operating in this connection where we feel secure with each other, we feel taken care of by each other, we feel seen by each other, we're communicating in a way that feels safe with each other. We then have an opportunity to play with these roles where I talk about the polarity of masculine and feminine a bit in my Art of the Blowjob course. But I'm often talking about how when we're relating to someone, we're doing a dance with them, right? And creating attraction is sort of like when we're in harmony with each other, we are dancing together. And inevitably, when we're dancing together, we, we sometimes have disruptions. We have triggers, conflicts that come up, things that create disharmony. And we are no longer dancing seamlessly with each other. Creating attraction is when you're both still on the dance floor, but you're separate from each other. And you then take complete responsibility for embodying your own dance, beginning to dance with yourself, creating your own vibe, moving your energy in a way that is ultimately attractive. At the most basic level, I teach women to do hip circles when they want to create attractive sexual energy. Because what's happening when we move our hips in that way, when we move our spine that way, is that we are shifting how we're moving energy through our body. We are getting more consciously in touch with what we're doing with our energy, with how we're feeling in our body. And that literally changes how our energy operates and and whether or not it creates attraction. Moving our hips is like the most basic physical hack I could suggest, but ultimately finding your way back to feeling like you have a full cup, like you feel sexy and radiant, like you feel good being you, that is a vibration and a frequency that is incredibly attractive to people. And when you have a partner who loves you, they're on the dance floor and they see you coming back into your vibe and back into your radiance and back into feeling sexy, they, will, they won't be able to stop themselves. They will be compelled to come back into your orbit and dance with you again. But what most people try to do is we fall, we fall away from each other, we fall into disharmony, and then and then we stand at opposite corners of the room and go, dance with me. <laughs> and that doesn't freaking work. It, it's it's demanding, it's controlling, it's a power play. It's not self-responsible. It's asking the other person 
to bring you back into the vibe that you always were that vibe when you were in dancing in harmony with the other person. We love who we get to be with another person. So when we are only able to be that person with another person, then we're then we're codependent. Then we're, we are overly reliant upon that connection to bring out this version of ourselves that we love. Well, and that's what I was talking about when someone's clamoring for your cup and trying to pour it into their cup. And it's like, whoa, yeah. wait a second. You know, it doesn't work that way. We must also possess the skill to go off and dance in our own corner and have the same grand old time being that version of ourselves. I'm doing this work actively with my clients now. I have a container that's dedicated to self-devotion and it takes action and energy poured into ourselves. It's literally pouring love energy into ourselves because that's what we get to experience when we're dancing in harmony with someone else, right? We have their love energy pouring into us and that is what helps us elevate to who we get to be when we're with that person. We're just as capable of pouring that love energy into ourselves. And in fact, we are really skipping a step in relationships when we neglect to do that and try to only rely on the love energy flowing from the other person. I want to interrupt a little bit for a second. Okay. So I'm thinking, what does it look like when our own cup is full to the other person attractive wise? What does the masculine cup look like when it's full? Oh, and when I, what is the feminine? And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you what my perspective is because I see a lot of it. Okay, yeah. I mean it, it's simple things. Okay, a smile like is half your cup, right? Just that you're happy and not too much is bothering you. You're content with who you are, and you can smile and just be happy. That is half your cup as a woman to us guys. Just be happy. And your cup is already half full. Then now it's like, okay, we want to add to that. Give me something that a portion of the cup for the masculine. It's interesting to me how you're framing this. I get it that that you're talking more on an energetic level. But what I'm kind of talking about is kind of a circular version of that. Another way to look at it. Yeah, I thought you were going to describe how you can tell when a woman's cup is full. Well, you know, being able to smile is kind of an indication, right? In fact, sometimes I can see in women, you know, some of what has depleted her cup and it's there's fear, there's lack of safety for sure is close to the bottom of the cup, right? The the cup's mm-hmm. pretty empty if if she's not feeling safe, trust is a piece of that. You've seen me with a full cup versus with, and you've also seen me in like very fragile moments when I'm feeling like I have a leaky cup. Describe me with a full cup. You're you're floating. You're vibrant and happy and energetic and you're complete. You're self-sustained. Sexier. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's those things that have a sexy value, right? I, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it or quantify it. Yeah, it's the experience of attraction. You feel attracted to someone with a full cup. It, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Confidence is a huge piece of, you know, that's probably one of the things that women like to see in, in a man's cup is that confidence and, and strength of self. 
Yeah, I'd like to describe how I recognize when a man has a full cup. One of the clearest things that I always notice is strong boundaries in a man when he prioritizes himself, when he prioritizes his own time, when he successfully and gracefully compartmentalizes different parts of his life so that he can pour his energy directly where he wants it to go. And there's also this like sense of he just has so much to offer and so much to give because he's got himself taken care of. You know, he's got all these different things pouring into him. And there's this strong sense of stability there. There's this strong sense of presence. Like he's he's not distracted by the things he feels like he doesn't have taken care of. He's settled in like, I've, I've got things taken care of. And I think that so many... Like I meet so many men who are in this like almost place where they're they're looking to like plug in those last few things. And I think a, a big mistake that a lot of men make is they think I'm, I'm going to find the relationship. I, it's the woman that's missing from my life that, you know, is going to give that feeling of things being taken care of. And I think that's a, a misperception and that and that every man is capable of creating a sense of things being taken care of in his own life. And and that that is a necessary step to a man feeling like he has a full cup. And that is what creates that sense of attraction for us. Like when when I look at a man and I, I feel that embodied sense of respect, like, oh, he's taking care of some things. He like he's not worried about these little corners of his life that he has been, you know, pushing away and, and not paying attention to. He acknowledges the things. He takes responsibility for things. It makes me feel like it's even possible for him to look at me and truthfully say, I've got you, which is what all of us want to hear. So in the I'm gonna say in the nineties, there was a movie and one of the things that people glommed onto, I've, I've literally seen people put it in their wedding rings and stuff like that, that I, I really, you know, kind of have an issue with was this phrase that you complete me. And it's mm -hmm. like, uh, well, no, 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 no. That's not, I mean, you know, if you, if you buy into that, you're setting yourself up, you know, yeah. for some discrepancy here. I'm complete already. And I would love for you to be complete already. Yeah, I am complete and you add to my life. Together, we could be phenomenal, yes. you know, as yes. two complete people. And yes. so come complete. It's so funny because what, what I'm saying to my clients most often about this stuff, like most of the things that we unconsciously try to make other people responsible for, when we flip it around and we're asked, would you be okay with someone else make, making you responsible for that? Across the board, everyone's like, no, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. We have very thick double standards around what we think we get to expect from a relationship for ourselves versus what we think other people get to expect from us. It's that same overgiving dynamic expecting to be met in the overgiving. Like, it just ain't going to happen. Your expectations are unreasonable, just like you would think someone else's expectations are unreasonable. And so I sort of feel like all of us are maturing to this point of being able to recognize that there is this place of total self-responsibility and self-actualization that we are able to meet, to bring ourselves to. 
And it's not an easy journey. It's one that requires a lot of meeting ourselves in the present state of reality that we're occupying. We like to tell ourselves lots of fantasy stories about things going on in our lives in order to <laughs> keep on trucking in a direction we're, we're comfortable going in. And um, that's a lot of what I do in the deeper soul work that I do with my clients is it helps so much to be supported and held and guided in that journey of you know, learning what it actually takes to show up for yourself in a way that makes you a match for the kind of relationship and intimacy that you want to enjoy with someone. You have, you have to meet someone else there. You can't meet that person and then rise to there. It doesn't work that way. You have to create your own life so that it's attractive to that kind of person. It's like, <laughs> you know, we we sit there in this like sort of drowning state going, I, I have all these messes that I need to clean up. And I just, I just, I just need the love to come into my life so that then I can be happy and then I can clean up the messes. And it's like, are you attracted to another person who's sitting there amongst all of their messes, just waiting for you to show up so that they can like <laughs> have the energy to clean up their messes? That's a person sitting there waiting to use you. And your energy. So what are you doing if you're sitting there amongst your messes and waiting for someone? You're sitting there waiting to use them. That is transactional energy. That is trying to love each other, trying to use each other's love, right? Rather than bringing all of ourselves, our wholeness into a connection and letting the magic of that connection and the, and, and the fact that you're both functioning well in your own energy birth things into the world and into your lives. Because you're not draining each other because you're both totally responsible and you're only meeting each other and collaborating around the needs that you're actually available for because each of you are prioritizing your own experience and you're consistently looking for the win-win. I have to admit it's it's a very mature stance and it's incredibly powerful and uh, you know I'm I'm so surprised that it's so elusive in our culture it's so many people come into a relationship you know kind of like I need more and maybe you can give it to me kind of thing you know so that so that I can feel good about myself and that's setting yourself up for failure to kind of impose on somebody to provide that emotional feeling that you can't even have for yourself. It's like you're almost setting somebody up for the impossible. It's like, I want you to love me, even in spite of the fact that I don't love me. And it's no, nobody can love you if you don't love you, right? It's like, because you're never satisfied with any love that anybody else gives you because you're not satisfied with your own love, which is harder to, in a way, to achieve than someone else's love. You can only experience as much love as, as you can experience of your own love through anyone else. And that's that phenomenon that I was saying where like we fall in love with the version of ourselves that we get to become with someone else when we're not in touch with what it's like to be filled with our own love, when we are not doing this happy, fulfilling dance of wholeness on our own, then you know, the closest we come to knowing our true selves, our more fully expressed selves is the self that comes out when we're in love with someone else. 
So what most people don't realize is that it's entirely possible to know and touch that version of ourselves and necessary if we want to maintain that kind of connection and and enjoy that kind of co-creation with someone else. We have to be able to be filled with our own love. We have to know how to direct our own love and energy and action towards ourselves. And when we do, we turn ourselves into a much more effective, much more highly functioning fountain of love that then pours into other people. You know, we talk about directing all this stuff towards ourselves, and most people make the assumption that that means that we're going to lose our ability to be available for other people in our lives. It multiplies our ability to be available for other people in our lives when we are consistently making sure that our own needs are being met and we're prioritizing ourselves. The last thing I want to say about creating attraction consciously, this whole episode is about attraction and I mainly focused on the foundation that's needed to even open up the window to, to consciously bring that energetic tension back to your relationship once you are you know, in a stable relationship with each other. And so I just want to say that the secret to creating to recreating attraction with each other is feeling sexy ourselves learning what it takes to do for ourselves to generate our own juicy cosmic honey energy right that just makes us feel alive and radiant and there are lots of ways to stoke that fire for ourselves that's a lot of what I teach and share and coach around and support around in my my sensual confidence work. Well, that's definitely something that we have in common because that's exactly what I'm teaching women. It's like, oh, love your own body and then it'll be easier for a man to understand how to love you because you know, you'll you'll already have it, you know, established. He can just tap into it. Yes, the people in our lives follow our example for how we wish to be loved. So whatever we embody, whatever we model, everyone around us will replicate. So many women in particular are stuck in damselins in, in distress mode. Daddy didn't do it for them when they needed it when they were a kid, and they're still waiting for daddy to do it. It doesn't work like that, ladies. We're here. We had the fathers we had. We're responsible for the growth work that we are, the maturation that we are, the evolution that we are. We agreed to come here and work through this. And our fathers are the lucky beneficiaries of our healing work, frankly. There's a lot of rhetoric around men being providers and protectors and, and you know, women hold these expectations around that. And I am regularly saying, you know, be careful with expectations. It's much more powerful to rawly and vulnerably express our desires and our feelings and allow ourselves to be met in that state. So that's what I want to say is, is finding the pathway to feeling sexy on your own, finding your way to learn how to dance in the corner like nobody's watching and have the time of your freaking life by yourself, feeling full. I, I'm using the dancing in yourself by, by in the corner analogy, but for me, dancing in the self by my corner is still a like richly populated experience. I have this wonderful network of friends that anytime I have any sort of need, all I need to do is 
reach out to one of my friends and and express that need. And we have this beautiful reciprocal relationship where, of course, they would do the same thing with me and I w- would work with my availability to meet that need. And so dancing with yourself means relying on the richness of your of your many resources in your life, your many intimate connections, creating spaces where you get to be real and authentic, where you get to be vulnerable, where you get to be attuned to yourself and be met there by people who love you. When you can do that, then you can successfully come back and dance with a romantic partner in a way that's really sexy again and again and again. And you have to be prepared for dance breaks when you're going to be dancing on your own, even in that relationship. And and when it comes to self-touch, I'll teach you how to dance on your own. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got to put my plug in there too. I mean, how to because, meet 100% of those sexual needs. Yes, because yeah. we totally can. I mean, I understand that sometimes you don't know what you want and you, you think that his cup is going to show you what you want, but he can't do that. You have to have some self-discovery. I can help you with your self-discovery, your your sexual self-discovery, your touch self-discovery, your physical needs self-discovery, so that now you can have something that you can, you know, like share with him that this works for me and this works for me. So n- then he can expand on that a little bit. He can bring in his creativity uh, in your realm. So you have to know it first. And I can give you some guidance with that. Totally. I think when we have unmet sexual desires, either sex, we are totally capable of expanding our relationship with our own pleasure ourselves and meeting that need for further play and exploration and and receiving attention, right? A lot of the times when we are craving more sexual focus, a lot of it is about attention. Are we receiving enough attention? And we are totally capable of giving ourselves that attention. And a lot of times it's a mistake to be looking for it outside of ourselves because it doesn't mean as much to us when it is not attention from someone who we trust and we love and who fully sees us. And, you know, that that's why you know, just going out and finding someone to have a sexual experience with isn't going to necessarily be all that satisfying and fulfilling. Whereas if we take the time to, you know, create some space for our own presence and to give ourselves our own attention around our sexuality, we might have a freaking blast. (laughs) You know, I mean, it can really be a distinctly different experience between the two options. So, you know, we're not limited to what we can create outside of ourselves. And it's much more effective to create within and watch what's outside of us respond to what we're creating on the inside. Absolutely. And today, unfortunately, we have run out of time. It sounds like we could continue this conversation forever and ever, but um, we That's can't, why we have a podcast. We can't keep everybody forever. So, you know, you guys will have to come back next week and see what we've got in store for you next time. And for today, that's it for me. I'm Rocky. See you next week. And I'm Natalie. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. For more resources and ways to work with us, visit gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. Please don't forget to follow, rate, review, and share the show. Join us again next week for another stimulating episode. 
We're here to expand your view of what's possible in intimacy and pleasure. 